Can you imagine a world in which you are restricted from buying meat for a while because you have already used your carbon credits for the month? Your financial privileges could potentially be restricted at any time at the whim of a government bureaucrat. And if you are a big enough troublemaker, you could be deplatformed from the system permanently. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a great little read to start off the week. Um, I've still got one that I really wanted to get done last week, but we just had a really busy weekend. Um, And uh, so I've got like an hour of recording in the bag that I'm just going to finish up. It will probably be uh, Thursday because I will be out of town. I'm last minute. I'm going to a Swan event, Swan private event in Miami. Um, so I don't know if you're, if anybody is out there and is going to that. Um, but uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see you there on Thursday. But today we have a read from Zero Hedge, and it is about, and I've kind of expanded and read a few links uh, related to this. So there's a lot that I want to unpack in this with, uh, with the guy's take at the end of the episode. Um, but it is a Zero Hedge article talking about the digital currency monetary authority and their unveiling of their cbdc their global cd cbdc called the universal money unit with the imf and there is there's so much about the language used about the the way this is being sold so to speak there's there's so many little things in this they're very subtle but i think they're incredibly important and also, I think there's some things that particularly there's I've listened to a lot of podcasts of people actually downplaying the shift that's happening between retail bank currency and CBDCs. And I want to address that a little bit as well. So really quick, let's thank our sponsors and then we'll jump into the read. First, we have Swan Bitcoin, the best way to onboard Bitcoin. That's how you got into Bitcoin, isn't it, Rad? You got Swan? What do you think about that? Rad agrees. If you're getting into Bitcoin, you need to go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy. Whether it's your business, your retirement, your ongoing savings plan, whatever it is, Swan is the place to set it up. And then after that, you want to get the Fold debit card. This will get you 1% back on everything you do in your fiat life. Where you still have to use dollars, do not do it without getting paid Bitcoin. Plus, get tons of spins for chances to win all sorts of sats. With every $10 that you spend with your debit card, you get a spin to win you free sats all the way up to a whole Bitcoin on this wheel. Go to bitcoinaudible.com fold to check that out. And where are you going to put these precious sats after you get them from Swan and you stack them from your debit card? You're going to put them on a cold card. Cold card Mark IV or the cold card Q1 that is available for pre-order. CoinKite makes the best hardware devices in the space. Incredibly versatile, highly secure, long trusted in the space, Bitcoin only. And they have the entire array of options from the Sats card, the Open Dime, the Tap Signer, the Cold Card, the Cold Card Q1, all of it. Check them out at BitcoinAudible.com slash cold card. And I thank you to all of those guys for not only the things that they do in the space, but also for keeping this show alive. And with that, let's get into today's read. And it's titled, IMF unveils new global currency known as the Universal Monetary Unit to, quote, transform the world economy. Written by Tyler Durden. A new global currency just launched but 99% of the global population has no idea what just happened. The Universal Monetary Unit, also known as Unicoin, 
is an international central bank digital currency that has been designed to work in conjunction with all existing national currencies. This should set off alarm bells for all of us because the widespread adoption of a new global currency, quote-unquote, would be a giant step forward for the globalist agenda. The IMF did not create this new currency, but it was unveiled at a major IMF gathering earlier this year. Quote, Today at the International Monetary Fund Spring Meetings 2023, the Digital Currency Monetary Authority, DCMA, announced their official launch of an International Central Bank Digital Currency, or CBDC, that strengthens the monetary sovereignty of participating central banks and complies with the recent crypto assets policy recommendations proposed by the IMF. Universal Monetary Unit, or UMU, symbolized as ANSI character umlaut, is legally a money commodity, can transact in any legal tender settlement currency, and functions like a CBDC to enforce banking regulations and to protect the financial integrity of the international banking system. As the press release quoted above indicates, this new universal monetary unit was created by the Digital Currency Monetary Authority. So who in the world is the Digital Currency Monetary Authority? Honestly, I had no idea until I started doing research for this article. The press release says that the organization consists of sovereign states, central banks, commercial and retail banks, and other financial institutions. Quote, The DCMA is a world leader in the advocacy of digital currency and monetary policy innovations for governments and central banks. Membership within the DCMA consists of sovereign states, central banks, commercial and retail banks, and other financial institutions. Basically, it sounds like a secretive cabal of international banks and national governments is conspiring to push this new currency down our throats. We are being told that the Universal Monetary Unit is Crypto 2.0, and those that created it are hoping that it will be widely adopted by, quote, all constituencies in a global economy. Quote, the DCMA introduces Universal Monetary Unit as Crypto 2.0 because it innovates a new wave of cryptographic technologies for realizing a digital currency public monetary system with a widespread adoption framework encompassing use cases for all constituencies in a global economy. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty shady to me. Of course, the Digital Currency Monetary Authority is not the only one that has been working on a new digital currency. The UK has also been working on one. The same is true for the European Union. And would it surprise anyone that the Biden administration is now touting the potential benefits of a digital form of the US dollar? The following comes from the official White House website. A United States central bank digital currency would be a digital form of the US dollar, while the U.S. has not yet decided whether it will pursue a CBDC, the U.S. has been closely examining the implications of and options for issuing a CBDC. If the U.S. pursued a CBDC, there could be many possible benefits, such as facilitating efficient and low-cost transactions, fostering greater access to the financial system, boosting economic growth, and supporting the continued centrality of the U.S. within the international financial system. I don't think that it is a coincidence that governments all over the Western world are simultaneously developing CBDCs, and the IMF has actually already put together an extensive handbook. Quote, The International Monetary Fund is putting together a central bank digital currency handbook to assist central banks and governments throughout the world in their CBDC rollouts. Published publicly on April 10th, the IMF Approach to Central Bank Digital Currency Capacity Development report outlines the IMF's multi-year strategy for aiding CBDC rollouts, including the development of a living CBDC handbook for monetary authorities to follow. A lot of people out there will cheer when these digital currencies are introduced, but it is imperative to understand that once everyone is using them, your financial privacy will be almost totally gone. Authorities will be able to track virtually everything that you buy and sell, and I'm sure that they won't hesitate to use that information against you. Needless to say, the potential for tyranny in such a system is off the charts. Can you imagine a world in which you are restricted from buying meat for a while because you have already used your carbon credits for the month? Your financial privileges could potentially be restricted at any time and at the whim of a government bureaucrat. And if you are a big enough troublemaker, you could be deplatformed from the system permanently. Of course, in order for such a system to have real teeth, 
cash and other forms of payment will need to be phased out, and that is precisely what is happening right now in Europe. The following comes from the official website of the European Parliament. Quote, To restrict transactions in cash and crypto assets, MEPs want to cap payments that can be accepted by persons providing goods or services. They set limits up to €7,000 for cash payments and €1,000 for crypto asset transfers, where the customer cannot be identified. Ultimately, they will just keep lowering the limits until the use of cash is almost completely eliminated. Everyone will be slowly but surely forced onto the new digital system, and it will be a system that they control with an iron fist. And most people will willingly go along with it. These days, most people are just scraping by from month to month, and one recent survey found that 70% of all Americans are financially stressed at this point. Quote, Inflation, economic instability, and a lack of savings have an increasing number of Americans feeling financially stressed. Some 70% of Americans admit to being stressed about their personal finances these days, and a majority, 52% of U.S. adults, said their financial stress has increased since before the COVID-19 pandemic began in March 2020, according to a new CNBC Your Money Financial Confidence survey conducted in partnership with Momentive. Most Americans simply do not care that these new digital currencies could open a door for great tyranny. They just want to be able to pay the bills and take care of their families. And if our politicians tell them that this new system is good for the economy, they will be all for it. But those of us that are awake know that more globalism doesn't lead anywhere good. Concentrating even more power in the hands of the international elite is always a bad idea. And hopefully we can start to get more people to understand this. All right, that wraps up the article. Um, let's hit our sponsor for today really fast, and then we will jump back in because I have, uh, there's actually a lot to unpack here. I really think that everyone deserves sats back. You deserve to get paid sats to have to use fiat. And wouldn't you know it, there is a company that does this. The Fold app and the Fold debit card. This is a debit card, not a credit card. So you're not paying interest to anybody on this. You are just using a debit card. You throw away your old, crappy, normal bank card. Get this debit card and you will get 1% back in sats on everything that you do. Your cell phone bill, you'll get 1% back. Your groceries, you get 1% back. You want to buy something on Amazon? Get a gift card, get 2.5% back. You got to travel? You want to get an Uber? 3.5% back using a gift card. All right in the Fold app. You just, like, everything that you do, you can just get sats for it instead of not get sats for it. And that's not even including the fact that you get a wheel. You get to spin a wheel that just gives you sats. And you get a free spin every day. And then every $10 that you spend with a debit card on gift cards or whatever, or buying Bitcoin right in the app, which you can do without fees, gets you another spin on the wheel to get more sats. I don't think you guys are appreciating how many sats we're talking about. If you want to do fiat the right way, get the fold card. And my link gets you 20000 right to start off. BitcoinAudible.com slash fold. Check it out in the show notes. So, uh, Timcast ends up playing in this household from time to time. We have a lot of, there's a lot of podcast listening going on in the Swan household. And it's really funny too, because like, uh, our sister, my sister-in-law will listen to something and she listens to a lot of the same shows that we do. My wife is always listening to something and I'm usually listening to something. Uh, the audiobook that I'm going through, I just finished uh, Forrest Moretti's uh, The Autism Vaccine, which is a fascinating exploration into the history of that. Holy crap, the number of coincidences in that theory. If you uh, have not uh, read it, um, man, that's a... That's a pretty crazy one. I highly recommend it. Uh, so I just wrapped that up and I am getting into Strong Towns, which is one I have listened to. Uh, what's the author's name? I've listened to him speak a number of different times and I've always loved his framing and his theory um, or, or kind of the general idea of relocalization. But the book itself is a lot deeper and goes in a different path than I had thought from the couple of podcast appearances I had seen uh, with him. Um, and I haven't listened to Marty. I think he was on with Marty Bent and the crew. 
uh, at Tales from the Crypt. I haven't listened to it. So I will actually put that in the show notes because I want it to, I remember to get back to it and listen to it. Um, but anyway, that is a phenomenal book as well. I am maybe three or four hours into it in the last day or two. Um, uh, but really, really enjoying that one. So I'm going to recommend that too. Of course, links in the show notes. All of that is to say that a lot of podcasts and audiobooks get played in this household. So Tim Cast was on the other day uh, somewhere, and he was talking about CBDCs, and he was specifically downplaying the shift that a CBDC is from the retail situation. And he had a very logical position, like I don't fault him for that, but one that I still think is very wrong and ignorant of the major problem that this presents. And what he does is, and, and you actually see this often in the claims against CBDC, is actually misunderstanding or, or improperly pointing at the things that are the real fundamental dangers of a CBDC. And they're the basic things, you know, and Tim goes through in this, he says he equates the lack of privacy the lack of control, everything that you already expect with a retail bank currency, and just said that these are basically the exact same problems that we have with CBDCs. It's not really any different. You know, right now you can have your account frozen without due process. Look at the truckers in Canada. Uh, right now you're always surveilled. They're reporting your transactions, etc. You don't have privacy. And this article even sort of reiterates, I mean, they do a, a little bit further down, they, they kind of expand on it. But even those, or even this article, I mean, reiterates that these are the major problems, um, which I think misses the core point. And more importantly, I think it gives wiggle room for people to think, oh, it, it is the same thing. Is, isn't this the problem already? So it's easier to dismiss really what's going on, like what the, the fundamental issue with something like a CBDC is. Like there's a quote from this article, it says, but it is imperative to understand that once everyone is using them, your financial privacy will be almost totally gone. Authorities will be able to track virtually everything that you buy and sell, and I'm sure that they won't hesitate to use that information against you. Now, before we go any further, actually, I want to point out that the article is a little bit misleading about what the situation with this currency is, um, is that this is not an IMF CBDC. This was released or announced on like the IMF platform or at an IMF event, maybe I think it was. But the title kind of implies that the IMF has launched, like it is out and they have published a CBDC. And this is not the case. And the IMF hasn't even specifically, I don't think they've like made an estate, a statement endorsing this either. I think what this is more indicative of with the DCMA is the awareness of the global monetary system having been massively fractured and the fact that everyone is rushing as fast as they can to vie for control, to vie for some sort of position. You know, I think this is more indicative of the multipolar world of competition among these international banking centers and central banks in trying to establish some degree of influence and adoption that they want network power over the international exchanges whether they can get that through central banks international banking uh, institutions financial institutions retail banks or directly for mobile users this is kind of another domino in the the breakdown of the facade that everything is business as usual, that the financial system is working fine and there's nothing, there's nothing to worry about because everyone is talking about systemically rebuilding the thing from the ground up, issuing new currencies, building entirely new infrastructure, using entirely different institutions, consolidating an entirely different hierarchy of power or a more complete hierarchy of power i think it's just another one of those indicators that normies need to wake up that that people that we cannot just think that nothing is really happening here we are going to be victims of this change if we are not 
getting ourselves ahead of it. Now, I actually read the DCMA, uh, or at least a good chunk of it, probably more of it than I should have, um, the white paper. So I've read 20 of like 60 pages. And holy crap, um, it's so stupid. Uh, so it's trying desperately. The, the, the funny thing about this is just that there is Bitcoin and crypto language just all over this thing. Like it's so, I mean, it is, it is completely and wholly a shitcoin. I mean, they call it unicoin. And that's like a big thing here is that the framing of this you cannot come up with anything more derivative than this. This is literally these giant centralized political institutions just issuing their own shitcoin. And they're actually even talking about it like it's a shitcoin. They, they have a protocol. They have a consensus protocol referred to as staked proof of trust. They call it the spot protocol. And basically it has like a handful of super mega nodes and then meso nodes, which they give to all of these smaller institutions and banking partners. And the meso nodes can uh, have to stake capital, have to stake money into this unicoin system. Like, I mean, it's such a shitcoin uh, into this unicoin system and they they are allowed to reject transactions to issue rejections of transactions but if the mega nodes disagree with them then they lose all of the money they have staked in this ridiculous system which is a great way of saying there's no point to have anything except for the mega nodes everything but the mega nodes is just facade it's it's all theater and then there's like these lengthy like, oh, how do we prevent double spending and all of these things? And they have like new terms for it. And it's hilarious. They refer to that this is distributed ledger technology because there's multiple in this centralized entity pool. And they refer to the to faster single ledger technology, single ledger technology. You mean a spreadsheet, dude? And then they refer to their payments as point to point and how uh, they can actually have privacy, but then they don't explain at all. There's no indication that there is actually any point to point, which just means that they're the mega nodes or maybe the meso nodes, whoever the hell it is, are just approving these transactions, which means you don't have any privacy at all. They're just making it sound that way. I mean, the whole thing just it just reeks all the way through this thing. But this is the most, like, Bitcoin is winning thing that I have read in a while. I mean, they have fully and completely adopted the language, the framing, the, the ideas that they are. It is acting like they are trying to appeal to Bitcoiners as if there is so much Bitcoin mindshare in what is going on that they have to frame their product as if it competes with Bitcoin, as if it is this trusted version of that scary Bitcoin thing and relegating themselves to the exact same, it's the exact same mentality of the entire shitcoin space is that they are riding the coattails of Bitcoin and they are bragging how theirs is better. They're just making a shitcoin that they are saying is better than all other shitcoins. And they use all of this jargon and this like cryptography and all of these things and it seems so clear that it's just a massive amount of pandering. Like the idea that any user holds their own keys, like there's going to be cryptographic keys in this. Like, no, it's just going to be, it's going to be API access between a bunch of mega nodes, or excuse me, there's going to be read write access to all the mega nodes. And then there's going to be API access with like messages that say, uh, I want to reject this. And the mega nodes are the court. So if they ever, or the they're the they're the double spin protection it's just it's just a centralized pseudo distributed thing like like all of it is theater i mean i'm i'm kind of rambling at this point but it's just so funny because i couldn't get over i was just fascinated by reading this like i could have been reading a shiba coin white paper it's just so bizarre how 
completely adopting of the Bitcoin ethos and pandering toward both that space and the mentality and the facade of like, oh, we have this sort of technology and we, we, we gain this sort of trust and we have nodes and we have this, like every bit of it is trying to retain all of the control that they're used to, that they know and want in the global financial system, but nothing but pandering to the new technology. And in the white paper, actually, they, they constantly use this financial integrity validation, that that's what these mega nodes are, go, uh, are doing. And they keep saying trusted institutions, and they keep saying integrity, and they compare it to distributed ledgers. They even talk about how it's more private than a distributed version. Um, but what, it, what is not in the white paper, what is not in any of this, is what those regulations are, is what the rules of the system are, is what the monetary policy is. They keep using the word integrity, and then they don't have a single thing in any, in any of their, the paper that I read, which I, again, I spent too long uh, reading through this crap. They don't, they don't have any rules. And this, that's the funny thing is they can't. They literally cannot create integrity of any kind because they know they are centralized, because they know the rules have to be completely at the whim of uh, politics, of probably of whatever jurisdiction they're in. Or they're going to create some international government body, which is going to dictate everything. And it's going to become it's just going to completely change with whatever the mega nodes decide it is today. Monetary policy, like predictable that you would actually know it ahead of time. It's laughable. They wouldn't even they wouldn't even think to include it in the paper. There's no schedule. Every mention of the word monetary policy in the paper is about which governing bodies control it. That's all it is. Which means that every other thing that they set up, everything that they claim about ownership, of validation, of double spending, of any sort of rights or anything in the system is complete bullshit. It's just vapid nonsense. But a lot of people will probably get taken in by this because it sounds I mean, I've seen people get taken in by shit coins all the time that basically do a lot of the same stuff. So anyway, that's just an overview of what's going on with Unicoin. But I want to get back to what is wrong with the idea of a CBDC, what is wrong with the idea of doing this and knocking out the retail banks and uh, these things like what really is it about a CBDC that is so extraordinarily dangerous? Now, this article hits it very lightly in, in this quote. It says, can you imagine a world in which you are restricted from buying meat for a while because you have already used your carbon credits for the month? Your financial privileges could potentially be restricted at any time at the whim of a government bureaucrat. And if you are a big enough troublemaker, you could be deplatformed from the system permanently. So right now, in our current situation, when we go to, when we're talking about retail banks and uh, not having any privacy and, you know, being surveilled and having them able to shut down our account, accounts and all of this stuff, that is true. That is true. They have centralized control. It is, it is by the nature of the system that this is true and unavoidable. However, they are not the legal authority. So you still have, you can sue a bank. They are not the regulatory authority. They, in fact, need to make sure that they have, regu they have friends in the regulatory environment and they have friends in the political and legal environment specifically because of that. Which means that they aren't setting monetary policy. The bank doesn't decide what your coins or, or what your uh, dollars are worth. The bank doesn't decide at an either national or global level how you can spend your money. It's very difficult to get consensus and it's very slow to get consensus on this because all of these institutions are different and all of these people are different. It's a very, it's a very slight disconnect. There, there is 
some degree of consensus over it. You can send out a memo to exchanges and people will have uh, accounts banned and stuff, but the process is simply more involved and it's more out in the front. There's, there's more visibility to it and it's politically more difficult to do because there's going to be backlash. They are soft barriers, but they are barriers nonetheless. And there's a handful of them from a couple of different angles and a couple of different um, uh, interested parties when we are talking about a retail bank situation and having an account with that bank. Now, the reason government gets so out of control and everything tends towards greater corruption, everything tends towards greater centralization, and all of our legal um, assurances fall apart and all of our liberty assurances fall apart as government grows is because of the increasing bureaucracy is because they issue they delegate power to some bureaucrat somewhere who's not elected who doesn't have a voting process to go through who doesn't have to wait for a county vote or a state vote or a federal vote um, and get approval or confirmation from anybody or care about what the consumers care about at all. The bureaucrat just enacts things. The central bank is a great example of this. They just do whatever they see fit. Money is at the very root of society. Without money, without monetary rights, you don't have the rights to property. You don't have the rights to freedom of association. You don't have the rights. You don't have the freedom to travel. You don't have the freedom to pursue your dreams. You don't have the pursuit of happiness. You have nothing if you do not in any way own your money, what it means, how you can spend it, and who you can associate with in the market. Now, those handful of loose barriers where someone has to vote, where someone has to be a representative, where somebody has to hold, get their foot hold to, held to the Twitter fire as to whether or not they get reelected. They get embarrassed publicly, and that's all they care about. All the government cares about is PR, or all the political mind cares about is PR. I'll put it that way. Imagine all of that falls away. Monetary policy isn't set, isn't a discussion, none of it. It's just a group of bureaucrats who don't care. They're appointed. They stay there for a decade, 20 years, their whole lives, they, they just work there forever. And their quote-unquote policies are whether or not you are a good boy for their ESG score, whether or not you get to travel, whether or not you have the right opinion. And it is overarching. It's the entire system that they get to see, they get to have the purview of, and they get to make decisions over. And you know what else? We are at the cusp of an absolutely impossible-to-imagine explosion in AI tools and AI software systems. They are going to be integrated into everything. And we do not understand them. The people who make them can't control them. The people who make them constantly find that they can do things that they had not intended. Numerous things. Not just like a couple of like simple, nuanced things, but fundamentally shocking things that they were never taught to do. The AI, they have found that an AI, uh, some of these AI algorithms running will literally just generate things to teach themselves. And the explosion in the last year or two has been orders of magnitude greater than what happened four to five years ago. And because these new AI technologies can teach themselves on their own results, they are going to get better faster as they get better. This is about the biggest unknown that we are sitting on right now. You think those bureaucrats aren't just going to implement those? And they're just not going to subjectively determine what, those right, what the right transaction is? And they're going to get that AI to just go ahead and just close off the account of the person who's got the unapproved opinion? Making sketchy transactions? Pumping out too much carbon? made a transaction at a company that sells Bitcoin miners? Well, if they did, there's nothing we could do to stop them. The problem with a CBDC, if the Fed issues one and we end up integrating it and it goes all the way down to the retail level and they try to get us to do it with an app on our phone, not only is it a gross consolidation of the entire surveillance apparatus 
but it literally means we have no rights of any kind anymore because the very system we depend on for economic interaction whatsoever has a monetary policy, has rules, has transactional restrictions, all at the whim of its owner. You like to save money? You like to be prepared for the future so that if you have a rainy day, you don't get wiped out and have to go deep into debt just because, you know, lightning struck your house or something? Can't do that. Can't do that. You have an expiration date on your money. You have to spend it all this month. It's good for the economy for you to consume, for you to be stressed out all the time, for you to have no buffer against the chaos of the world. You have to do it for the greater good. And at the exact same time, they are going to outlaw cash, and it seems like they're going to outlaw crypto asset transfers that are non-KYC. Or at least they're trying to. That's what the European Parliament um, issued. There's a, that's another um, a quote here. It says, to restrict transactions in cash and crypto assets, MEPs want to cap payments that can be accepted by persons providing goods or services. They set limits up to 7,000 euro for cash payments and 1,000 euro for crypto asset transfers where the customer cannot be identified, which is so hilariously the opposite of what the purpose of money is. Like, we can all use credit. We can all just trust each other if you actually have to have KYC and know your customer for every single transaction that you do. The whole purpose of money is to bridge the trust it's specifically so that you don't have to know who you are doing business with. So you don't have to look up on Facebook and make sure the person who runs your local grocery store is actually good for it. So that you can just go into a place and buy something from the store and the store doesn't have to care. They get the money. The money is proof of the value. The very idea of adding know your customer into all transactions is antithetical to the entire purpose that we have money in the first place. Now, what's the good news? Aside from the blatant pandering to all things, to, to the, the mindset and the jargon of Bitcoin, it's that this is going to move really fast. Um, and the AI thing as well is going to be nuts. Um, with thinking about social media and how we adopted social media and how it fundamentally began to shift. Essentially, these social media algorithms began to run our lives, so to speak. And they ended up having, really the 2016 election was and Brexit were the kind of, uh, the writing on the wall, so to speak, on this is really getting out of hand, that they do not have control over the system anymore, and or the, the narrative apparatus, the propaganda apparatus. And suddenly these algorithms, suddenly these interactions with social media, and they've had a massive, I think they've had benefits, but they've also had significant um, uh, consequences. The doom scrolling, the addiction, the social isolation, the um, aggressive uh, expansion and feedback loop on uh, closed communities and, and really thoughtless mindsets and the, the, the tribalism and the, uh, the insane wokeness and identity crisis. Like these things are all fueled. It, it's like social media set fire to all of this stuff and gave us extremes in almost everything. But the thing is, is that integration and change happened slow enough that as we grew up, it's, it was still hard to notice. You had to kind of look back 10 years or 15 years and really kind of think about the way things were back then to be like, wow, like, it was hard to remember exactly what it was like. And you had to, you had to do a lot of reflecting and thinking very hard about what changed in order to really see the degree of change that occurred. Why do I think AI and CBDCs and our current situation is going to be different? And why am I actually extremely optimistic for it? Even though we're going to be into a, we're, we're going to move into a fake everything society. Already scammers are, you, you can, <clears throat> the newest AI um, voice synthesis things again these things are going to get better faster so the exponential curves here are going to get out of control but now you can just use three seconds of audio 
to mimic somebody's voice well enough to call them up and or to call someone up and sound like them. And there are already scammers. This is like within weeks. There are already scammers who um uh like they can call up like let's say your child is out at college or something and uh the somebody calls the kid and uh they pick up the phone they say hello it's like uh, i'm trying to get in touch with bobby and it's like uh sorry a uh, wrong number and it's like okay my bad have a good day you too hang up that is enough to completely synthesize their voice enough to not be able to tell now they can call up that person's girlfriend their parents their associate ask for money call it their parent what's my social security number again i'm applying for a job in a world without a web of trust without genuine cryptographic authentication these systems that noster that slash tags and the whole punch crew are building and why i think they are so unbelievably important is because in a year's time two years time tops we are going to be in a place where none of our human authentication systems, none of our KYC systems in the digital world work at all. They, they, they simply are not barriers to anything anymore. There's a really great um, video, and I think somebody in the audio nuts uh, shared this to me, um, and I, it got me down an, another rabbit hole on AI. I've been, God, it, it sucked up so much of my time recently. Um, but I've been going down the AI rabbit hole and between audiobooks and podcasts, that's, I've been watching another video after another video on all of this stuff because I think it's super, super important that we get ahead of it. But it's, uh, I think the video is called The AI Dilemma. Um, and it's very like nuclear holocaust level, like be concerned about AI. And I think they have a very, very good argument and, uh, an extremely concerning viewpoint. What was funny is I still think they have the wrong, uh, the wrong mindset. They're, they're still very fiat mindset. And I think they're also discounting the consequences of the social dilemma and its relation to the fiat mindset and fiat culture. Um, and failing to recognize just how critical it is that we realign ourselves that we think in the long term like so much of what they are talking about it about the thoughtlessness and the moving in the wrong direction how quickly things can get out of control is in the fact that incentives are misaligned in the fact that corporate like financing and debt is so crazy how often i see this over and over again in like another book or another thing and i'm just like if you fix the incentives all of these problems you're talking about no longer are profitable they're no longer the direction that everybody is being constantly pushed if you fix the freaking money and more specifically about ai and as these things get integrated into platforms and stuff is that i think their integrations are going to happen extremely quickly but here's the thing is imbalances with a technology that happen that moves this quickly are very very fast to unfold they are very fast to reveal themselves. You know, if you have a uh, you have a feedback loop, this is this is also how I think about like government institutions and the political mindset in general, is that it is just a negative feedback loop, such that no matter how much individual good you do or how much you try to make it work, you will always create one percent more problems than you do solutions. And as it gets infinitely bigger and bigger and bigger, as it compounds, now let's say that prop those that those degree of problems compound at one percent every year. Well, then the imbalance is hard to notice. It's very easy to market and just say, "Look at the good that we did. Look at the the house we built." Without without them being able to see the fact that like a road got. Um, you know, a road started to degrade and it's full of potholes and that didn't get fixed because they built some project or something. And, and you know, it's a net 1% loss or a net 4% loss or something. If it's, if it's small and it compounds slowly, it's kind of like the boiling frog, the frog in the boiling water. This is, uh, I actually talked to a good friend about this. And he hadn't heard this analogy, so I'll reiterate it just for anybody who doesn't know, is that you can boil a frog alive and kill it if you do it very, very slowly. 
is that if you put a frog in boiling water and something about like the pores on the, the the way their skin works and the pores on the skin and how their nervous system works that if you turn up the temperature very very slowly it won't feel the temperature change it, it's like a you know every once in a crazy while a, a child is born who literally can't feel pain they have no feedback and essentially it's just a death sentence because if you cannot get feedback from your environment there's nothing you can do you're just always you'll, you'll never avoid the things that do you massive amounts of harm you don't even know how to essentially and in the same sense that's what the frog is doing is the frog is unable to sense the heat because the the change in temperature is not fast enough to trigger their nervous system however if you turn up the heat fast, it will notice, it'll freak out, it'll get out of the pot. The saving grace that I think when it comes to these AI tools and integrating these things with, the platform, with platforms and systems that run our lives, that are in integral to our lives, and the absolute sheer speed that these things are moving, this technology is moving, the saving grace is I think the heat is going to turn, turn up too quickly is that where social media crept up on us and so many things had moved slow enough that it was hard to notice the change and it was hard to notice, you know, over a hundred year fiat lifespan, the ever-growing negative feedback that we're now suddenly is coming to light and we're just aware of how much damage this fiat system has done and it's more and more obvious every day and we're in you know we've been in the gradually phase for a very long time and now we are in the suddenly phase and we are in the fourth turning while all of that is coming to head this technology is landing on the table and where an ai has a one percent feedback a negative feedback loop one percent net loss in whatever its sustained algorithm is whatever its policy is to create a thing whether it's destructive or creative whether it's too controlling or totalitarian um or uh actually protects the freedom to transact or whatever it is when they put it in the cbdc system the thing about it is that not even the people who implement it are going to be able to control it which means if there is a negative feedback loop it's not going to iterate every year. It's not going to iterate 1% a year. It's going to iterate 1% a minute. And when a negative feedback loop, when a broken AI basically eviscerates a system, an entire thing that it plugged into because it went in the wrong direction or instituted the wrong policy or learned the wrong lesson and applied it, well, nobody's going to not notice. Like The feedback loop is going to be like turning the pot up to max heat in a matter of moments. And I think our saving grace with the CBDCs is that it is, it is institutions that we no longer trust at all, and or at least trust is breaking down at an incredible pace because we are in this fourth turning and we are moving into a multipolar world. The BRICS nation actually have passed the GDP of the G7, so we are fully a multipolar world. The dollar simply is not. The G7, like the IMF, these institutions don't run the world. They are desperately trying to. They are desperately trying to hold on to as much power as they can. But everything is splintering. There is going to be an incredible amount of change very, very quickly. And CBDCs are going to start being issued in the next year or two in every form or fashion. They're going to try to be incredibly quick about the uptake. They're, you know, going back to the 70% of all Americans are financially stressed. Well, they're going to make it very easy to adopt by issuing everybody $5,000 as a bailout plan from the financial implosion that they've caused and this huge debt. Um, they'll have a big debt jubilee or something. That's not historically unprecedented at all. We'll just, we'll just wipe the slate clean and destroy all the debt because none of us could pay for anything. And it'll be an absolute disaster and the bailout, the, the checks will come in the form of download this app and use this CBDC. And they will all push as fast as they can. And if you want to be stuck there, don't do anything. If you don't, the guy thinks that we should all adopt a Bitcoin and we should adopt the Bitcoin technology and we should all learn how to use our cryptographic keys and we should all get on Noster and Keat and Hole Punch and exit from that hellhole because... I think we are going to pay the price of its imbalance.
all the lies and all the crap that nobody can actually pay for and all the financing that nobody could even manage, nobody can even maintain unless they get more financing to cover the last batch of financing. Someone is going to have to pay the principal. It's not going to be me. I sure as hell do not want my family wrapped up in that. And I hope you understand as well and learn how to protect yourself. And that's what we do here on Bitcoin Audible. So this is a really fun, cheery episode. We'll be back tomorrow with some uh, maybe a little happier stuff. Uh, but what a ridiculous thing. What the DCMA, man. We'll see how this unfolds. And Fed Now is now right around the corner. I think it's June or July or something like that that they said it was going to launch. Um, which I don't think is a full-on CBDC, but everybody's just everybody's just trying to get their new thing. And we are all stepping in that direction. That is why I'm stepping out. With that, I just want to thank our amazing sponsors, CoinKite, uh, the best in hardware Bitcoin security devices. Check them out. Don't forget, you get 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible. Swan Bitcoin, the place to onboard into Bitcoin and get your long-term savings, your business, your retirement, all of it. Check them out. And hopefully I will see you if you're in the Swan Private. Um, uh, I'll see you this Thursday, maybe in Miami. And lastly, Fold. Get sats back on everything, guys. It's magic. I will catch you all on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. Fear tends to come from ignorance. Once I knew what the problem was, it was just a problem, nothing to fear. Patrick Rothfuss This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>